The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Right, here we go. Football frenzy time. Willie Cofield, Ari in the Finley Toyota Studios. Tom Brady's back. Who? How much does that change the NFC South? Well, it it's immediately throws them uh, the Buccaneers at the as the favorite again. I mean, it's funny how you know, the odds makers plummeted them, and now and they're going to have to put them back right right back up because I think that you, you immediately have to give Len credence to the fact that he's coming back. I mean, it's it is what it is. Behind the division sucks. So there's really no competition. It's, I, I, it's I, actually, like, I like, actually thought that the division winner could be 7-10. and 10. That's how bad it could be. So like the NFC East of the past few years. But now it'll be like the AFC East of years ago when it was the Patriots and everyone else. It could be the Buccaneers and everyone else. We think. Unless, right? unless th- the Saints land somebody. I think the Falcons can be a 500 team, but I'm not entirely confident in that. The Panthers are still in a rebuild. Well, both the Panthers and the Saints apparently are the teams going after Deshaun Watson. Right. I understand the Panther attraction because he's from the area. I don't get the Saints. Do you? Do you get why he's interested in going to the Saints? Well... Is it him being interested as much as it is them being interested? I mean, the pursuit is it the pursuit of Deshaun Watson, or is it where he's deciding to pursue? Oh, I think he has some say in it. Well, he's of course he's going to say he, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to go. No, but those are the names that are being brought up in terms of that are in pursuit. The leading teams. Among, well, originally among, he seemed to be pulling the strings for Miami when Flores was there, and then you heard if Flores lands somewhere. Then maybe he'll want to go to that spot. Flores lands in Pittsburgh, which apparently has a quarterback now. Is Mitch Trubisky is going to be the guy? Um, my whole point on the Saints is Sean Payton's gone. And I know that's stating the obvious, but have we not reset what the Saints are? Dennis Allen, to me, is a terrible hire. I don't, I'm, they're, they're, the other thing is the Saints are a zillion dollars over the salary cap. The Saints are not the, the Saints were the Saints because of Drew Brees. Right. But more importantly, Moving forward, Sean Payton. That's to, I don't know, man. I don't think that's an attractive franchise. Yeah, they were good for the last 15 years, but things have changed. And I think that the Panthers are no longer the team that Cam Newton used to quarterback and, and lead. And I think that the one team where... Do you think the Panthers have anything attractive? Is that an organization you want to go to? I think they're, I think that they're more than a quarterback away. I think that well, the, I think, I think the franchise that wa- that he should consider that supposedly ca- one of the front runners, where he would fit right in immediately because of the co- outgoing quarterback and the style of play, is Seattle. Doesn't he somewhat fit the model that Russell Wilson vacates and what he's capable of doing? I'm not saying he's elite as Russell Wilson, but he can do many things that Pete Carroll can exploit. So let's let's compare organizations, right? Because in the end, if you're a quarterback who has a chance to pick where you're going to go and you're already established and you're a top seven guy, it's about the organization. It's not even necessarily about the team you have right now. It's about the organization. So Saints ownership, eh, 
I don't know. I guess is okay, but to me, the organization was Breeze and Peyton, and now you've got Dennis Allen as the head coach. The Panthers, Pepper, one of the richest owners in football, and I don't know if you like Matt Rule. Seattle, I like. I like that ownership keeps their beak out of things. I don't like the way Seattle drafts. Um, I like Pete Carroll, but he's also 70. So for you. Seattle's the most attractive because they're the closest to winning. And by the way, Seattle does have the advantage, and this was exactly what we're, we've been laying out for months about Derek Carr, is if you have a quarterback and you trade the quarterback and you get a lot of draft capital back, then you take the draft capital and you go get another quarterback. Seattle is now in a position because you got players and multiple ones and multiple twos to now put a package together that's attractive to the Texans because the Texans don't want a quarterback in return. You know, Not that Drew Locke would be part of it, but... Um, yeah. They want draft picks, right? Well, so Seattle would be attractive. If Seattle would be attractive. The one thing that you have to realize going in, if you're Deshaun Watson, is yes, you can go in there and, and go to a to a sort of a viable team, but that is one tough conference or, or division. Oh, yeah. So you're going into it. Do you want to go into the NFC South where rea- and the reality is is that the Buccaneers with Tom Brady are the big challenge, or do you want to go into a stacked division? For one year. For one year. Saying how how long is Brady staying around? For what, it's no, one I more know, year. I what you're yeah, saying. It's one more year, and then Arians is gone too. I, know I would assume. Well, yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's a Brady lot. hasn't didn't get his farewell tour. Chef to ruin that for. <laughs> well, this time around, he got to control the narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's part of the week. Uh, we'll get to Brady and that whole news dump yesterday. That was pretty crazy. Coming <laughs> up, though, we're going to check in with uh, one of the best writers in the country, excellent radio host as well. Rob Motti is going to join us, AP writer covering the National Football League, right here on Cofield and Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I think everybody in the NFC minus six teams should be calling. I think the only six teams that should not call Houston and figure out what the potential cost is are Dallas, the Rams, Tampa Bay, Chicago, Green Bay, and now Minnesota because of Kirk. Everybody else should be calling. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN. Wow, he, he left a team out of the mix there that shouldn't be calling on Deshaun Watson, and that's the Raiders. Rob Motti works for the AP. He's been covering the NFL for a long time. He's in the Tampa area, so we'll get to uh, the reemergence of Tampa Bay. But we were just talking about Deshaun Watson. Rob, how you doing, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? A lot. Because a lot. free agency is <laughs> supposed to kick off here in a couple of days, but the NFL doesn't wait, so we're getting news left and right. So we were just talking about Deshaun Watson, and, and uh, that was Dan Orlovsky on the way back saying, you know, everyone should be calling on Deshaun Watson. That's not exactly accurate. I, I would assume, Rob, that some of the stuff that was swirling around Deshaun Watson d- doesn't just go away because a grand jury elected not to move on with the case. Yeah, you're exactly right, because there are teams that will look at all the baggage that he comes with and say, hey, that's not for our organization, because as good of a player as he is, and he's an elite quarterback for sure, but everything that surrounds him right now, yes, he's not going to face criminal charges, but that does, as you said, that doesn't make all of that stuff go away. And we're probably going to hear more, and it could get ugly in these depositions and, and what we find out. So I think there are some organizations, like, for example, the Indianapolis Colts, they trade Carson Wentz. 
Now, I, I sat down with uh, one of their owners, the daughter of Jim Ursay, for a conversation shortly uh, after the season. And, and just from their values, from the way that that conversation went, and then talking to Frank Reich and knowing him, I would be surprised if they were a team that would want to get in the mix. They need a quarterback. He certainly fits what exactly what they're looking for, a guy who's a dynamic player who can help, but they can also win with someone who is lesser of a talent. So that would surprise me. There are other teams that it wouldn't surprise me as much. I think the Philadelphia Eagles, who have Jalen Hurts, as a great fallback option, but they've been known to give guys second chances. They gave Michael Vick that second chance, and uh, they were applauded for that after initial uh, backlash from fans. Uh, I, I think they're a team that would consider Carolina for sure. Seattle probably the same. Yes. So it depends on you're going to get you're going to get backlash. You're going to get criticism. Who's in a position to absorb that, handle that, and move forward with it? But. Um, it's going to be interesting because it looks like he's going to be, he's got to be the next. Hey, Aaron Rodgers is staying. Tom Brady's coming out of retirement. Russell Wilson went to Denver. Even Mitchell Trubisky's off the block. Teddy Bridgewater's going uh, to Miami. Deshaun Watson is, is the best one out there who is available. So, Rob, I got to ask you just, just to throw it out there based on his tweet and his announcement and his proclamation, if you will. You just said he's the best one out there. You look at, the complexion of Mitchell Trubisky's career and Deshaun Watson, where he's going to end up. Colin Kaepernick with this announcement where he is going, that he's been training ever since and he's in the best shape and he's calling for receivers to work out with him. Uh, just your thoughts on that. And and I, because I, I can't imagine that anyone's going to give him a shot, but, you know, uh, if yeah. the talent's there, why not a tryout? Yeah. And, and, and I think, and he actually live streamed a little bit of that. Uh, couple hours ago uh, I think I, I got a I got a tweet uh, I mean I got a text from uh, one of his uh, from his camp saying hey he's about to go on Instagram he's going to uh, live stream his throwing session and it was short on the on the stream so I couldn't see much and it, it was to Tyler Lockett and he, he threw some good passes but hey look at he's a guy who's been out of the NFL for five years if he's going to put his name back in the in the mix his in the hat right now in free agency, knowing that there are uh, a, a slew of teams out there who need a quarterback, this is it. This is now or never for Colin Kaepernick. But, he again, he hasn't played since 2016. How good will he be under center with 300-pound linemen who can run four, five, forties chasing after him? Uh, he threw some crisp passes out there in shorts today, but I, I don't know. I think a team could be – persuaded if the NFL really wanted to get him an opportunity. But would he be willing to come in and play for the veterans minimum at this point? Is he doing this for something other than actually wanting to play? I would love to see a team give him a legitimate workout and offer him a real contract that is worth what you would expect a guy who hasn't played five years now in the NFL, and then see what happens. Put the ball in Collins' court and, and see if he's willing to play. I'm willing to bet that he's probably better than a lot of the options out there, other than the Deshaun Watsons and some of the guys who, were, who, who had more success more recently. But what we saw when he did play, and before he had a couple of 
uh, an injury-plagued season and a down year was a guy who led the San Francisco 49ers to a playoff win in Green Bay, and they came within maybe, you could say, a questionable call, pass interference call in the end zone of winning a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. It's a long time ago, but I'd like to see if he can get that opportunity. Rob, from a local standpoint, so news came down a couple hours ago, J.C. Jackson, looks like he's headed to the Chargers, but the Raiders have been... You know, a defensive secondary or wide receiver, they're in the hunt for one or the other. We saw that the Browns released Jarvis Landry or the, uh, earlier today. What do you see as far as the Raiders and who they're pursuing? Could could they go after a guy like Landry? And as far as their secondary, how are they going to short things up? Yeah, I think a guy like Jarvis Landry would be a, a fit there, uh, certainly for the Raiders. But he's going to have a, he's going to have a lot of opportunities. A lot of teams are going to come after him, and and you, you would look at maybe the Chiefs. You would look at. I don't know what Tampa's going to have left after re-signing some of the guys. Carlton Davis coming back, Ryan Jensen coming back, Brady obviously coming back. But they could use somebody to fit into that Antonio Brown uh, spot. So if they're in the mix, Buffalo gets in the mix. Um, th- there's a lot of competition for a guy like Jarvis Landry. Uh, there's opportunities now after this first wave of free agency, right? There's there's going to be another wave. There's going to be guys who are uh, who are cut who could still really play and impact teams. I look at some guys who you can find after June 1st, too, because there's the June 1st designation and, of course, the draft. So maybe they go in that direction, if not at wide receiver, for the secondary. Uh, A lot of teams do need secondary help, though. Um, I I look around the league, and I know because I'm very familiar with Philly, uh, they need some secondary help. I'm very familiar with Tampa. They can use some secondary help for sure. So uh, it's, there's a lot of competition for, for pieces like that and guys like that. And if you're not spending the, I'd be reluctant to spend a lot of money, to spend that J.C. Jackson kind of money, to spend that uh, Quandre Diggs money to bring in a, a corner and somebody as a, in the defensive backfield. I, I think those guys sometimes, they, they, they have a good year, they earn their money, and then they, they fall back a little bit. So I, I wouldn't get on the Raiders too much for not doing anything immediately. We're still in the first day of tampering right now, and a lot can change over the next two, three, four days, and even several weeks. I totally agree. Yeah, I'm not I'm not all busted up because the Raiders didn't get a guy for eighteen million dollars. Um you know, can you can you pay Derek Carr thirty to thirty five million dollars and then have multiple players on the roster who make fifteen million plus? I mean that's a great question. Once a guy gets his massive payday at quarterback. Yeah, and, and that's very difficult to do. Now, uh, teams do teams are, are able to, to pay their quarterbacks a lot of money, and then you continually get into their restructure situations, mm-hmm. right? And, and some teams are better than others at restructuring contracts, uh, pushing money down the road, figuring out a way to uh, be able to surround their team, surround their guys with the talent now, and hope that that problem is in the future when the salary cap keeps going up and up and up. So I think you can win with a $35 million quarterback. Obviously, we've seen teams win with quarterbacks who are making a lot of money. Look at the, what the Rams were able to do, the guys that they brought in. Look at the Buccaneers. I know Tom gave them a discount a couple of years ago when they won, but it's doable. But you have to be able to manage that salary cap extremely well and be creative and be able to – and have players who are willing to give you that flexibility to, to take that money and, and restructure it. Hey, take it in a signing bonus. Take it in, in, th- in these kind of dollars. 
and wh- whatever it is. It's such a complicated process. And man, I, I got a, I got a lot of respect for those out there who the, uh, uh, the spot tracks and the over the caps and everyone else who could break it down for you because it, it ain't, it's not easy, guys. Rob Motti with us from the AP. Rob, tell people about your uh, show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. It's on uh, multiple stations around the country, Faith on the Field. Yeah, Faith on the Field is uh, we're going into our fifth year within uh, and first first full year now closing in on uh, on Fox Sports Las Vegas and really appreciate the opportunity. We interview Christian uh, athletes across all sports, but I, I've been uh, a lot of NFL guys lately, especially since now I've moved into covering the NFL full-time and not all sports. Coming up this weekend, it's going to be Derrick Henry, Tennessee Titans running back, so nice. it'll be a nice time. Nice little conversation with Derek. Uh, we talked we talk to these guys about their faith and the work that God has done in their life, and uh, it's just another platform to uh, to really glorify the Lord in, in, in all they do. So uh, I really love, love doing it and appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk about it. So when did the Tom Brady retirement start to unravel? Man, I, I'll tell you right off the bat, because I, I thought I spent a lot of time no, Tom and the Buccaneers. I moved here in August, and I was able to, to go down there. Like Tom spoke on Thursdays, and it was such a different vibe going from Philly to Tampa. Uh, just a you know a sh- handful of reporters. It's not crowded. It's not crazy, and, and you really get to, to to know the guy a little bit. And I just I was surprised when the the rumors of the potential retirement were coming because he was playing so well. And, and he kept talking about how his body feels great. He's not really in that in that mindset where he's ready to move on. But I knew that if it was going to happen, that he would retire. It was a family thing. It was, I don't know what Giselle was saying to him behind closed doors, but uh, it looked like it, would, it may have been some sort of ultimatum. So when the room when the report broke on that Saturday, I think it was before Championship Sunday, we were like, "Hey, you know, we kind of he's been saying family comes first, and sometimes you don't always do what you want to do. You have to do what's best for your family." I could see it coming, and then it just that instantly, six days later, he's like, "Yeah, never say never." And then all of a sudden, it's is he coming back? Where's he going to go? Is he retiring only from the Buccaneers, but wants to play for San Fran or somebody else? So uh, it, it seemed like a matter of time. And once the Buccaneers didn't fill that position, right, when they didn't get Russell Wilson, when, when they didn't instantly go out and grab somebody to come in there and make it difficult for Tom to come back, then it was just a matter of waiting on, on when he's going to say, all right, I'm ready. And I, I, was, I was surprised that it was this fast, only a 40-day retirement, but it was the right time. He had to do it now as they enter free agency because all of a sudden, you see the other dominoes start to fall. Ryan Jensen, immediately, before he even gets the tampering period, he's returning to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carlton Davis, who may have gone somewhere else, he's returning to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, I wonder if it's a matter of time before they can convince Ali Marpet to come out of retirement, too, and play guard. Rob, real quick on, on, on Brady, how much do you think, obviously this isn't the only reason, but you know, he, he probably had these plans, but he didn't get a chance to plan it properly, and he sort of had to come out with the announcement the way that everyone else was breaking it. The fact that he didn't get to sort of come out his own way, his own, you know, and sort of direct the narrative of his retirement, maybe not get a farewell tour, and, and that played a part in, hey, I'm going to go out on my terms after he thought about it for however many days. Yeah, 
I don't know if he retired on that on February 1st or what was it, a Monday or a Tuesday because of the leak coming out. I mean, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't seem to be like that's the best thing. I, I really think he was leaning towards doing it to buy himself time to convince his wife, Hey, you know what? Let me play one more year. I'm, I'm still at the top of my game. So I kind of feel like, the, the reports came out. It kind of forced his hand a little bit to do it before the Super Bowl to say, all right, I'm going to walk away. I think he would have ideally wanted to do it after the Super Bowl so he didn't take the spotlight away. But I, I really think he was hoping to buy time to convince Giselle, uh, let, let me do this one more year, and, and, and maybe even more, maybe two years, but at least one more year. And, and he spent six weeks at home, and he – peddled the Brady brand as much as he could on Instagram and everywhere else. Uh, the pants and the t-shirts that are what I think they're like 200 bucks for whatever it is. And, and finally they went on trips. They did this, that, and the other. And I, I, he got her blessing. And it, I think that's all he needed. As soon as he got her blessing to go back, maybe he drove her crazy at home. My wife jokes around like, Hey, if you were going to stay home 24 seven, I'd probably push you out the door too. So maybe that's what happened. <laughs> Let's uh, let's finish up where we started on Deshaun Watson. How much control does Watson have and where he goes? He's got the no trade, so I think he's got a lot of say in where he wants to go. But it could come – and if you're the, the Houston Texans, you've you got to be willing to, to tell him we need the best value for you, even if you don't want to go there. And, and I think part of him meeting and setting up these meetings with some of these teams is so he can get a feel for the organization and they can get a feel for him. If I'm ownership, if I'm a front office, I'm not trading for Deshaun Watson without sitting down, seeing him eye-to-eye, face-to-face, and saying, hey, what happened? Explain yourself, because we're about to trade a lot of assets for you and give you a lot of money, and we're going to take a lot of criticism for it. So explain yourself and depending on how those conversations go, because they're going to be difficult ones, it's going to be tough to sit there in that room and for him and for the opposite side. And I think depending on how those conversations go, teams may be able to um, appeal to him or the way they handle it. He may say, hey, I feel comfortable in this environment. But uh, he's got a lot of say with that no trade clause. But the Texans should want to get maximum value for him. So um, if it comes down to the best offer and and he's not willing to go there and and he's saying, no, I'm not doing it, could the Texans hold on to him and and say, all right, you're going to get suspended? Maybe he's going to get suspended for six games, eight games, four games. There'll probably be an appeal process too. I don't know that they're going to want to pay him whatever the remainder of that is. So they may have to settle for a second-best offer if he pushes them. Uh, lots going to be determined, though, when he sits down and meets with these teams face-to-face. Do you think he should be suspended by the NFL? Should the NFL stick its beak in this matter? Well, they suspended Ben Roethlisberger, right? They set that precedent. They, they suspended Big Ben uh, several years ago, and, and there were no criminal charges. So I would expect nothing less yeah. than a suspension for Deshaun Watson. I mean, given what the stories are, the reports are, and what some of those women, I mean, we're not talking about one, two, or three. We're talking about 20-plus. Something happened. I don't know exactly what it was, and we may never know exactly what happened, but something happened, and I think he'll be disciplined. 
I understand why it happens, but I still think it's weird that they suspend players in these cases, but they don't suspend Dan Snyder. They don't suspend Robert Kraft, but that's a topic for another day. Last one. If yeah. if you were advising Deshaun Watson, you're Deshaun Watson, let's just say it. Where do you want to go? Eagles, Panthers, Saints, no. Seahawks. I'm definitely, if, 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 I, if I'm Deshaun Watson, I don't want to play in Philly. That's a fan base that'll turn on you in a heartbeat. <laughs> okay. I've gone through it with Carson Wentz. I'd want to go to, uh, I'd want to go to Carolina. Uh, I think Carolina would be a nice fit for him. They have some good pieces. They have a good defense. Uh, I think they have a fan base that would be a little bit more welcoming, uh, an environment, a culture fit for him. Um, to me, I, I think that would be an ideal scenario for Deshaun Watson. Rob, you're awesome, man. Keep it going with Faith on the Field, anytime. and thanks for doing the spot on short notice. Appreciate it. Oh, anytime, guys. Thanks so much. Have a great one. There he is. Rob Motti, weekend show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. You were going to jump in with something? I was. When you, when you came back to talk about suspending, and you said, well, they won't suspend the owners like that. But you know what else? They'll suspend Calvin Ridley for gambling, but hey, uh, just a few games for allegations of with women. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? Hey, why not? Let's play a Christmas rejoin. Next time we'll have a non-Christmas Paul Anka song, but we love Paul. We love Uncle Paul, right? Sure. Why wouldn't we? So what happened over the weekend? Uh, it, was, it was Thursday, actually. Uh, March 10th was the 10th anniversary of Smith Center. It's been open, and it was the exact date, and they invited uh, Uncle Paul, Paul Anka, to do the show. PBS was there. Cameras everywhere. They filmed wow. it for an upcoming show that'll be Oh, is that right? Broadcast. Yeah. Oh, I can watch it. Good. Yeah, there were cameras, you know, from every angle. And Why are we calling him Uncle Paul for people who don't know? He is my uncle, my mother's brother, old school Vegas. Paul uh, Anka, that's awesome. <laughs> Grew up going to the old school style shows here in Vegas, uh, you know, seeing seeing the Wayne Newtons, the Paul Lankas, the Mac Davises, going to those shows. Never got to see any of the Rat Pack. For young people who don't know who he is, uh, great songwriter. Yeah. Beyond, wicked vocalist, but but he wrote a lot of freaking songs, like big songs for other people. For other people that, that they don't realize that. So he got his start in the 50s, and his first hit was Diana, a song he wrote about his babysitter. And then went on to write Lonely Boy. and uh, Let's get it, some Diana up on the Commodore 64. Come on. Yeah, get the Diana up. Uh, and then he went on to write, you know, for other people. And he, uh, you know, when you see that, the movie La Bamba and, and how they had those tours going around with the big names and they come out for one or two songs, he was part of that. And uh, one of the stories he tells during his show, and he's told this a lot, Buddy Holly, the last story, the last song he recorded, my uncle wrote for him, It Doesn't Really Matter Anymore. And then after he recorded it and it went big, he died in that tragic car with uh, plane crash with um, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens. Um, this particular tour is called Anka Sing Sinatra because he wrote My Way for Frank Sinatra as many times that we've talked about on the late night podcast in here. It is a song in which Frank Sinatra was on his way out of his career and he was going to record one more record and it sort of just revived his career. And, and that's why it starts. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. And he, so he tells the story and what my uncle has been able to do, what he, he in over the course of so many years in putting these shows together, his, his entertainment is second to none. He's an entertainer. He's a showman. 
you know, even at 80 years old, he comes out into the crowd. He's got the one-liners. He's always done several Sinatra songs throughout the show. What he's done now is he still opens up with one of his oldies, You Are My Destiny. And then now he goes into a slew of Sinatra songs at the beginning, but he tells these stories in between each song, which really makes it great because it's all about old Vegas. He talks about days back at the Sands and how, you know, he tells one story about Sammy Davis Jr. when he brings down the big screen and he talks about the time he wrote a song for Sammy Davis Jr. and how Frank Sinatra, you know, all the Rat Pack, and they all called him Kid. Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, Dean Martin, Joey Bishop, they all called him Kid. When they all were at the Sands and Sinatra told the head honchos because um, Sammy Davis had to stay in historic West Las Vegas at the Moulin Rouge. Basically, that's, that's where the They big, wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let him in. You know, Dorothy Dandridge, if you watch that story, if you ever watched that movie with uh, Halle Berry, that, they talk about that. So, so, But Sinatra told people at Sands, he don't, stay, he don't stay with us, we don't perform. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. I like the tune of the song. Sounds like uh, I'd like be singing this to the Gilts. They still scream crazy when he sings it. And let me tell you something. There were people in the audience that were younger than you and I that have, because of this new TikTok challenge. Oh yeah. Put your head on my shoulders. Become this TikTok rave, and, and somebody, a Doja Cat, whatever the performers, they did some challenge. Put your head on my shoulder challenge. So that song has now. Gone viral on TikTok, so he re—he's do on his new duets album with Olivia Newton-John. Don't be surprised if that thing goes hits the charts all over again. That would be just wild. I mean, that's just—he's become a master of that with duets. John Von Toll was with us, Gambling Insider. John, uh, TikTok, your family's very familiar with it. Could you translate whatever language Willie was just speaking? Uh, I'm not really in all that into uh, TikTok. Like, so here's my thing: my um, algorithm. Is all just Elden Ring stuff at this point? I bet you don't even know what Elden Ring is. Um, so it's all into the video games and whatnot. I just flip through and find videos that I like. You'll have to talk to my wife. She's a real pro. Your wife's probably a fan of Paul Anka. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, I would I would assume. If it's on TikTok, then yes. Check with her. <laughs> uh, let's start going through the brackets. Uh, I was just filling out my bracket. The uh, March Mania bracket contest up on LVSportsNetwork.com. $1,500 grand prize. JVT, you should get in it. Um, I did notice right out of the gates... That I had a tough time. I, you know, I want to find some challenges for the ones, and I had a tough time finding places to knock Kansas out of the tournament. Yeah, I, for me, Steve, like I think out of all of these teams that are one seeds, Kansas got the best draw. That Midwest bracket, I think, is pretty weak, and it's so I, I bet Kansas before the season started to win the whole thing. I, I thought they were going to be like a dominant team. I got them at thirteen to one, and then as the season went along, I was like, wow, this is, this is a bad bet. Like it's not like they're terrible, but they're not like thirteen to one, you know, to win the national title. Good. But now you look at the way that this bracket has shifted, and the odds have shifted as well. You know, some spots are as down as low as eight to one on Kansas to win the national title now because of the way that this bracket is. But you talk about the winner of San Diego State or Creighton uh, on the uh, flip side of, I'm going to assume, they beat Texas Southern or Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then out of the other part of me, I think their biggest stumbling block would be Iowa. Keegan Murray is absolutely fantastic. Iowa could be you know electric offensively, and they could have trouble keeping up, but they could lose that game of the Sweet 16. But if you get by that, 
I mean, you're getting one of LSU, Colgate, USC, Auburn, you know, and then, you know, Miami, Wisconsin, all of those teams mixed up in there. Like, I, I think this bracket really nicely for Kansas to at least make a Final Four berth. And I, I would think it's actually disappointing if they didn't make a Final Four berth, just given the way that this bracket broke for them and the challenges that they have in front of them or lack thereof. You know, you were at the Mountain West Conference Tournament covering the whole thing, and I'm sure you heard coach after coach talk about how this is great. Conference is going to get four teams in. It's as good as it was back in 2013. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, not until you win games in the tournament. Yeah. And I'm talking yep. about in the big tournament, the NCAA tournament. No, I, I agree. And so that's why I, so I made a prop for you guys. I'd be curious your thoughts. Uh, over under one and a half wins in total in the NCAA tournament for the Mountain West. What would you do? I, I set the under at minus 200. Well, I think your odds are bad. That's a problem. I mean, I would, think- I, I'd bet the over uh, just on value. Would I be shocked if they went 0 4? No. Right. And like that's, it, I would say this, Steve, because I agree, like, you know, for this, it's good in the Mountain West in that, you know, you get the teams there, but immediately if all four of them flame out in their first games, then you're going to get the, yeah, Mountain West is weak. They never deserve to be in there, all that conversation. But, but I will say this, you know, one of the things that has surprised me, and I think this is just a lack of coverage and people don't watch, you know, for example, this Boise State Memphis matchup. I, I bet Boise State, I, I, everybody and their mother, I have yet to find one person who is on the side with me that thinks that Boise State is going to not only stay within just two and a half, but potentially win that game against Memphis. And here's some college basketball analysts who like fancy themselves as analysts, but oh, that's a terrible matchup for Boise State. Like, how? It's exactly. a team that's laden with six, seven dudes who are insanely athletic and long, who can challenge three-point shots, who, if they need to, can run up and down the floor. Like, yes, Memphis has some advantages, but in terms of being able to win that game, you know, Boise State, I think, and San Diego State, just given the spread, obviously, uh, are the two best options for these for this conference to win. And then Boise State will get Gonzaga, if that's the case. San Diego State, as we talked about, will get Kansas, so it'll be tough on the other end. But but I think overall, I really like this Boise State team, man. Like, I watched them up close. Steve, you've had the chance to watch them up close. You know, I think that's the uh, that to me is going to be the shining beacon for the Mountain West because they can be competitive, and I think they even have the personnel to be competitive with Gonzaga if should they move on past uh, Memphis. Uh, I agree right there with Boise State as far as the fact that they can they can run a gun and play two styles of basketball, and I think Memphis is showing its vulnerability against a team like Boise State where it can, you know, it can switch switch up on you and make adjustments, play fast. Play, uh, slow it down, play physical, and they can do a number of different things to you, and I think it catches Memphis off guard. I like Boise, and speaking of your total wins for Mountain West Conference, I would definitely play the over because I'm not going to be surprised if Wyoming challenges Indiana. Mm, I bet I bet Indiana in that game. <laughs> I, I, like, I, just, I haven't seen – so the last few games from Wyoming and just down the stretch, I just haven't been overly impressed with watching them, and one of the things that really troubles me with them coming down, Willie, is – you know, when you watch them offensively, it can get pretty simplistic at times, right? It's just, hey, let's post up Maldonado. Okay, next possession. Let's post up EK and let's just alternate back and forth, back and forth until we get something going. You know, I think it was, uh, was it Royce Hampstead who talked about, you know, not letting EK finish the, you know, through you essentially, have him shoot over you. And the Rebels, like, they caused havoc for him. They forced him to turn it over. I think, was it six times in that game? He was insanely ineffective. I just think when you're talking about Wyoming, they're a very good team. But I think they're they're easy to guard is not the right term. But there is a game plan that you can put forth there against Wyoming that, that will really put them you know in a spot where they're inefficient offensively. I mean, look at their last two tournament games, right? They build up the lead against UNLV. They blow it in the second half and barely get by. And in the first half against Boise State, they're down big, and then they have to come storming back. Like It's just a very Jekyll and Hyde offense that has been very inconsistent for me, Willie, and I, and I feel like that is going to work against them against Indiana. So I think Wyoming positives – 
Uh, I do like that EK has a chance, the way he plays, to take Trace Jackson Davis out of the game with fouls. Mm-hmm. And we know in these games, refs can decide which big is going to get the play. Whoever gets whoever gets to uh, you know tack on the fouls on the other guy uh, has an advantage. But the negative on Wyoming, I do think they're a tired team. Yeah. Oh, they've been playing. I think. I, I think they even was it Linder who talked about it in the press conference, right? Like every single one of these games has been, yeah. you know, touch and go, really tight contests. You know, within those five points, they've needed these wins. You know, I don't think in any way whatsoever that was a team that was relaxed on Sunday, right? Watching the selection show no. uh, because you know you could say all the time that you hey, you know, we have a tournament resume, we're a tournament team, but at the end of the day, you have no idea. And even Linder said it himself. He's like, yeah, crazier things have happened. Right at the Mountain West Conference tournament after they lost, so I would agree with that, Steve. And you know, a lot of people I think will be surprised. It's a relatively young team, right? We're talking about the two seniors on this team, and that's about it. You know, how does that work against you when you get on the big stage like this? Gonzaga in the West minus one sixty. That seems rich. Yeah, I agree. Like, and this Gonzaga team has shown its flaws throughout the regular season, right? Duke, if you can find a team, and this is a, this is a big ask, uh, but if you can find a team that, that can run with you and get a little bit in just similar in terms of body type and athleticism, you know, this Gonzaga team has shown its flaws. And by the way, St. Mary showed that uh, in the game that they beat them, that was actually a sneaky quick game. I think there were 73 possessions there. And so if, if you can match the pace and still, you know, put guys like Holmgren in some foul trouble, this is not the Gonzaga team that was last year. But I think because Holmgren's a blue chip prospect, because they were there last year, Steve, they're still getting rated like they're kind of the same team as a season ago. And I thought that team last year was better than this year's team. So I would agree. Like if you're looking at the West overall, I'm looking to take my shot anywhere else on this board, whether it's going to be Arkansas, who can't shoot the ball well and has got a tough matchup with Vermont, uh, Texas Tech, who, by the way, played them earlier in the regular season and played them pretty tough. And they were missing uh, some personnel in that game, too, uh, if you want to go with Duke as well. But I think to me, like when you're talking about the West, I'm going to try to find every opportunity to play against Gonzaga uh, or, you know, find a market. Circa might have yes, no, because they do these on these future options. Uh, Yes, no, you know, on these West to to win the brackets and bet the no on them because you can get in the range of like, you know, uh, probably actually, you know, they're odds on. So you're going to be a small plus price to not make it out of the West. Like I just I want to play against this Gonzaga team any way possible because I think they're power rated to the moon and they shouldn't be. Speaking of Jonathan Von Tobel, the man, the myth, the legend, JVT. From VCN. Hey, so at this time of year, when we do what we do, we look for the underdogs to cling to. I personally am interested to see Vermont against Arkansas, but you have an underdog ready to make some noise. Yeah, I think Colgate's in an interesting spot, Willie, because if you look, you know, Wisconsin, uh, th- this has been a popular play. I bet them plus eight and a half. It's down to seven and a half. Some spots opened up nine. So if you really got into it early, uh, you got a pretty good number here. But for me, there's there's a couple of things here. One, Colgate's a, a very old team, so they're going to be ready. They play together. Uh, you know, it's you try to get old. It's one of the reasons, by the way, I like Boise State. They have some guys on there that have played together for a while. Uh, but then if you look at um, Wisconsin overall, Johnny Davis, he's going to be available, but how healthy is he? And if he is not fully healthy, this becomes an insanely ineffective team offensively and even fully for the season, right? We're talking about 259th in offensive effective field goal percentage for Wisconsin, uh, 250th in offensive rebounding rate, thir- uh, 291st in three-point shooting this has not been a an insanely impressive offensive team this season Wisconsin so I, I think Colgate you know if they can win that game which wouldn't be shocking like the 314 matchups seem to be the darling matchups this year for the upsets but the, again going back to the way this bracket breaks down in the Midwest so you let's say Colgate somehow pulls that off you get the winner of LSU Iowa State LSU just fire Will Wade their offense is atrocious as is Iowa State's sorry TJ Altsberger that's a winnable contest for Colgate and then you move on to USC who we saw near the end of their Pac-12 play, tooth and nail, of course, with Oregon State, or excuse me, yeah, with Washington State, Oregon State as well. I think it was a 94-91 overtime game against Oregon State. So uh, I think that 
If you're talking about a team that would make a shocking run to an Elite Eight, I would not be surprised to see a Colgate team that's kind of old that gets a pretty good draw if it breaks right for them, making it out and having to face Kansas in like an Elite Eight matchup. South Dakota State Providence. This is interesting. So I just grabbed this number because I figured it was going to move, Steve. And, you know, it kind of has. There's still two and a half out there, so it hasn't moved like I expected. But, you know, Providence, is, you know, if, if you have followed college basketball in any way whatsoever, you'll hear the word luck a lot with Providence. But very simply put, it's just when you have a lot of these games, these crunch time games or clutch time games, as they're called in the NBA, where we're talking about within five minutes, five or fewer minutes left to go, it is generally, yep. it's not going to go your way every single time. Yet yep. it has for Providence yep. almost every single time. Ken Palm, and, number one luck. Yep. Providence. And, but here's, here's what's interesting about this game, though, Steve. So on Friday, I bet Creighton against Providence. And they got, Providence got smoked, absolutely smoked by Creighton. Creighton blew him out, even though they didn't have Nembahar on the floor. And, you know, he's been injured for them. And I made the case here with humans on our show on VEASAN, even though I've got a Jackrabbit ticket. And by the way, for the people who haven't watched South Dakota State, they're an incredible offensive team. Can shoot the ball insanely well, wildly effective in terms of their offensive efficiency. So, like, this is already a tough matchup as it is in Providence. But if you're just using the, hey, man, they've been getting lucky, well, what if the luck ran in that Big East matchup, and they just actually match up well here against South Dakota State. So I'm fascinated by this. Uh, the Jackrabbits are going to be the sexy upset pick of the first round, but we have seen this before where the sexy lopsided pick does indeed come through for the underdog betters. But I'm really interested to see how this plays out because Providence, everybody is going to play against Providence given the regular season, but we did see the luck run out Friday in the Big East tournament, and maybe they're actually going to get this one. So aside from looking for the dogs, those live dogs in the first round to win outright, totals in the first round are always viable option so i i, I thought this was interesting Willie, because I, I was doing um a show yesterday during selection sunday right it was from 7 to 10 p.m and we we get all excited because we want these sides right we want to see who's favored what's going on what are the point spread and, and you know total betters are kind of insane especially in a sport like basketball where it can get super volatile in terms of scoring and runs and all of that stuff even college basketball it happens to a lesser degree than the nba but it still happens but what I noticed while I was on the air, because while we were on the air late at night, that's when the total started coming out. And if your total's better and you're sitting around and you have multiple accounts, there's some pretty interesting situations to set yourself up for in these first round matchups because you're having totals opening up with like two points of difference. You'll have one spot open up a total 132 and a half. You'll have one spot that open up at 130 and a half or 131. And so if your total's better and you're just sitting there on selection Sunday and you've got your accounts open, Will, and you're ready to go, you should be able to get the number that you want on any one of these matchups. It's just, are you paying attention? And do you have the books open and operational and, you know, and accounts open at a lot of these uh, shops? But to me, that was a more fascinating takeaway is you can set yourself up with middles. You can get the best number available on some of these totals in this first round if you're just sitting back and paying attention because while the point spreads are everywhere, the totals are everywhere too when these numbers are first going up. You don't get Ken Palm to reference right away like these odds makers usually do when they open these numbers, and it sets up some pretty good opportunities for middles and just really good numbers if your total is better. John, we appreciate it. What do you guys got coming up in terms of uh, special coverage this week uh, you know, across the way or across the board on VSIN for the tournament? Uh, we got our, our conference betting guide coming out tomorrow, all of our brackets, including my own. I've been deemed an expert in terms of college basketball, so I like oh. that. That's, that's very nice. Um, senior Mount West correspondent. I took that title. Nobody gave it to me. I just took it. Huh. Uh, but we'll have our guide coming out um, sometime. Actually, I think it's out uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow at some point early in the morning. So you can check that up at vison.com. And uh, covered throughout the week, as usual, and especially during Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, live throughout those games. So I have in-game opportunities betting for you to follow. And, of course... NBA season's still around, so Sunday night, check me out. Hardwood Handicapper, 6 p.m. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car.
No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.